0: I was about 10 years old when he came to our home. He was an older man and he seemed to know my mom. He spent hours talking to her, holding her hand on our front porch. I remember her crying. The man returned to our home a couple of times, but spent most of his visit talking with my mom. I remember feeling afraid to ask him, who are you? I later learned years later that he was my mom's real dad. Who are you is such a, such a powerful question to ask another person. I can sometimes feel emotionally intrusive, maybe even threatening based upon their, the tone of your voice, the look on your face, the way you hold your body. But I think most significantly it's a question that gets asked of us many times throughout our life. Discerning the question, who are you? That the priest and Levites ask of John the Baptist is illustrative, I think, of the complexities of the question and its importance to the church, and I would argue to each of us as Christians. In Mark's Gospel last week, we heard Heard of a very confident John the Baptist proclaiming the coming of Jesus in very prophetic terms to the people of Jerusalem, who was more powerful than himself. Even the description of his austere, aesthetic lifestyle, clothed in camel's hair and eating locusts, which has gotta be unpleasant, and wild honey. Would have given anybody hearing his message The sense that this was a powerful and knowledgeable person. People flocked to him. He didn't go to them. And those that came to listen to him listened to his words. Mark's testimony of John the Baptist was that he was a larger than life and a courageous figure with a red-hot temper against sin. But this morning in John's Gospel, we see a very different person confessing, not just admitting but confessing what he's not. It's not the Messiah that would come with fire to over, overthrow the Romans, not Elijah who was foretold in the book of Malachi as the one who would return before the great dreadful day of the Lord. And is not the prophet foretold in the book of Deuteronomy who would be raised up from among his fellow Israelites. Only in John's gospel do we hear John the Baptist say he's just the voice of the one crying in the wilderness. Last week, Peter Ranke, our head of schools, gave a very moving sermon about John. He described in such powerful, colorful terms a very competent warrior proclaiming to the people of Jesus' coming ministry. But this morning, I contrast that description with the testimony and the gospels of Matthew and Luke. When John was imprisoned by the Herod Antipas for criticizing his marriage to his brother's wife, feeling very much alone, powerless, and dejected John sends his disciples to publicly question Jesus, whether he is the real Messiah, or are we to wait for another? When I read these words, I can, I can almost feel the resignation, the disappointment, and the frustration in John's voice. He must have felt so dislocated with the Messiah that ate from ate with tax collectors, and healed sinners. One that was not a warrior Messiah like King David or a prophet like Moses. When confronted with a world that conflicts with our strongly held beliefs, expectations, and passions, I think it's easy to lose one's sense of self, to question our faith, and to become disoriented and lost in the wilderness, to slip in despair, darkness, and self-doubt. In these most challenging times in our nation and in the Episcopal Church, it's easy to lose our way and our sense of self as Christians, which I suggest is a critical takeaway when we're thinking of John the Baptist. Who we are and how we define our own identity is certainly tied to our marriage status, what we do for a living, and maybe our quality of life. But I think it's also reflective of the vows we make to God and to one another, expressed in our baptismal covenant. It's our promise to remain in community with one another, even when things get really difficult. trying to maintain our sense of self, who are you, has never been more difficult than it is today. In an increasing number of states today, victims of rape can be accused of engaging in criminal conduct themselves if they terminate an unwanted pregnancy. If you're a civil servant in the federal government, your employment could be terminated soon if you're identified as someone who is part of a deep state conspiracy. If you're gay and seek to marry the one you love, your future right to do so may be terminated by an increasingly conservative Supreme Court. As an ordained priest in the Episcopal Church, if I as a transsexual woman were to deliver this sermon in a public setting in the state of Texas, I could be criminally prosecuted, along with the individuals who invite me to that venue for engaging in unlawful conduct. If you're a teacher in Florida and have a classroom discussion about sexual orientation or use a pronoun consistent with the gender identification of a student, you could be fired from your job. Many of us are afraid to let people know who we are because It feels unsafe because of the consequences we can face for disclosing who we are. Undoubtedly, our polarized world is full of distractions and false equivalents that can challenge our very notion of what is right, what is just, and what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Throughout the week and perhaps throughout our lives, we are induced and at times seduced to engage in activities and accept falsities that compromise who we are or aspire to become. Sometimes it just feels like the whole world has lost its common sense and its ability to determine right from wrong. That society's institutions, laws, and judgments are conspiring to keep us in darkness To hide our true identities from ourselves and from one another. But the season of Advent reminds us of our true identity as followers of Christ, to, in the words of Isaiah, be the good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted and to be oil of gladness instead of mourning as Disciples of Christ, this season of Advent reminds us of the need to to, to be engaged, fully engaged, witnesses to the gospel of Jesus and how we live our lives and the changes we make in the greater community. While John challenged hypocrisy of religious establishments in his day and died for his beliefs, the challenge we face today demand that we be more than just a lone voice crying in the wilderness. While who we are may transform over time as we find love, settle into our careers, or plan for our retirement, our self and our identity must be grounded in our relationship we have with Christ. The teachings of Christ and the gospel of love and forgiveness need to be our true north star that empowers us to, in the words of Apostle Paul, righteously and morally test everything to hold fast to what is good, to abstain from evil that has infected our consumer-obsessed culture, especially this time of the year. Advent calls us to fully embody the light of Christ as believers. We each reveal the life of Christ anew in the world by being intentional in our worship and continually asking and testing if how we are conducting the business of life is consistent with the convictions that he will come again. As disciples of Christ, we each have a responsibility to be the prophetic voice of hope and forgiveness, to live lives which exemplify and testify to the light of Christ so that all might believe through him. We Episcopalians are by nature shy and often reluctant to share our faith with with strangers outside the walls of a church, or God forbid to walk up to someone we don't know, introduce ourselves and ask, who are you? I'm embarrassed to admit my own hesitation to tell people I don't know that I'm a priest. We Episcopalians tend not to be very evangelical about the Church or talkative about what we do as disciples of Christ after we leave on Sunday morning. Our silence and timidity has allowed others to redefine what it means to be Christians, to weaponize the scripture, to justify all forms of discrimination and to deny human rights the very people Jesus sought to heal and make whole during his ministry. Such practices are not who we are as disciples of Christ. The season of Advent and the celebration of the birth of Jesus is a time when disaffected and dechurched people decide to give church another try on all those souls who proclaim that they are spiritual but not religious come to experience the magic through the ministry led by Mother Kate, the angelic, the angelic voices of our choir, and the magical liturgy expressed by Canon Jim, the thing that we take for granted every Sunday. During this year's Advent, let us all welcome these strangers into God's home here in St. James. Let us each make a concerted effort to let them know who we are, to rejoice in the Lord's love and extend a warm and hopeful smile to the stranger, to show all who are tired, weak, and worn the true light of Christ and the coming of our Lord. Hey it so.